Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Now available on Apple Podcasts, Podcast One, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. Quick break to tell you guys about NFL Game Pass, the only way that you can replay every game all season long. You can relive all the gutsy calls, crazy catches, wild comebacks, and breakout stars from every game every week. It's all the action, all the football you can handle, all in one place. So every game that we're talking about right now, you guys can rewatch it after the fact. I'm going to be going back, and you guys can too. Go check out Lamar Jackson in week one. Go check out Dak Prescott and what that Cowboys offense actually did. Go check out Kyler Murray and his NFL debut. That's my favorite thing about NFL Game Pass. You can go back and watch at any time. And if you haven't watched a condensed game yet, you have to try it out. It's every play from the game back to back to back so you can replay an entire NFL game in the fraction of the time it normally takes. It's how I'm able to follow all the MVP candidates, all the breakout stars, and, of course, your waiver wire pickups all season long. To see all the action this season and stay on top of all the big storylines, you need NFL Game Pass. Best of all, you can kick off the 2019 NFL season with a seven-day free trial of NFL Game Pass. Just sign up now at NFL.com slash ProFootballFocusNFL. Apparently, there's no sound on YouTube, Sam. That would sound like a problem. I mean, what's that football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. As a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PML. Do you not understand that they are that way because you're Joe Flacco? And you just like to discredit things that people deserve credit for. That you can't possibly be expected to defend that. Talk about the game, Sam. So, Who cares about what people think about us? Yeah, I like football, I like football season, all the things that go with it. We got a, we got a. There we go. We got a. Okay. There we go. Should I, should I do the wel- welcome in again? Smooth. Yeah. On uh, YouTube, uh, special thanks to our YouTube viewers for just being here on a monday morning we love you guys um anyway let's we, we as i was saying we're going to get into some jamal adams discussion we're going to get into some marquette king saying he could dominate rugby discussion for no more than two minutes and we're going to get into a little bit of colin kaepernick where he might fit in in the nfl if given the opportunity and then a little bit of mailbag hmm. get into okay. the middle i got a lot of good questions here today so let's start with jamal adams he wants out from the New York Jets. The guy's played three years. He's got essentially two years left on his contract, first-round pick from a few years ago. He wants to play for a contender, and the list of teams that he said he'd be willing to play for is basically every good team in the league. So uh, Jamal Adams, uh, who is he a fit for? What should the Jets do? What could they even get for him at this point? It's, I mean, the Dallas thing makes too much sense, right? Like, that's yeah. the obvious connection. That's the one that everyone's been been making, and it's, I think, the one that fits the best. The question really, I think, is um, what is his value? Because uh, I think there's no question that Jamal Adams, like, he's arguably the best safety in the NFL. He was the top safety in the league when we did our PFF 50, so, you know, PFF collectively believes that he's the best safety in the NFL. Um, the question is how many, how much are you willing to give up to get him? Um, because I think he makes pretty much every roster in the NFL better, but 
at a cost, right? Not only are you going to have to give up, it's the classic example of you've got to give up draft capital and then re-sign him to a big money contract, which inherently reduces the amount you want to give up from in the first place. But that, I think, is the debate because this idea that the Jets want, you know, multiple first round picks potentially or more than a first round pick, like at the point where you need to re-sign this guy to a market resetting contract and give up a first and then potentially more, I wouldn't want any part of that, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, let's start with just how good he is, right? I mean, he he is, as we've said this many times on the podcast, you know, the classic do-it-all safety. I think he's right there with Derwin James as as a prototype <laughs> right now. I don't know why you laugh at that. I just, <laughs> you and George find it physically impossible to discuss safeties without mentioning Derwin James. It's like some yeah. sort of reflex. They're in a class of their own over the last few years, the way they've played. I mean, when the last would have been very attainable to get through this discussion without the mention of Derwin James. And yet he's one of the best. He's one of the best. All right. Forget Derwin for a minute. Uh, He ranks, he ranks well, or, or, you know, near the top of the league and essentially in every uh, key number, whether we're looking at coverage, uh, the other part of, of it is like where he's deployed. You know, I think we call him this, this like do it all, you know, in and around the line of scrimmage box safety. But his coverage grade at free safety over the last three years is the best in the NFL when he's lined up, you know, deeper than eight yards in more of a free safety role. So he can cover uh, from a deep, you know, mostly deep half, but a deep half standpoint. He could play in the slot. He could play in the box. He could play the run, run stop percentage, 95th percentile, run defense, 96th percentile over the last three years. And then you've mentioned many times his ability to rush the passer uh, like other players around the league who are safeties and can rush the passer in edge rusher uh, capacity. Uh, Jamal Adams can do that in a name who, who else could do that? I didn't, mm. I didn't drop that name. Um, so he could also do that. So, I mean, he is the guy we talked about Isaiah Simmons during draft season. Oh, you draw this guy up in a lab and he's perfect for the NFL. Like, yes, but you know, Jamal Adams has actually done it at the NFL level um, at all levels of the field. So that part of him's great. To your point, though, is he worth two humans? Is he worth <laughs> two potentially really good humans in the first round? And and there's very few players. I don't know if any non-quarterback truly is right. around the NFL. And honestly, I think there would be a discussion if it was, so forget the more than a first round pick, even if it was just a first, knowing that you have to re-sign the guy to a monster contract. So Isaiah Simmons is a good comp, right? Because let's say Isaiah Simmons' ceiling is being Jamal Adams. That's basically the best you're going to get out of him in theory is if he comes in, he can do everything Jamal Adams has already done and proven he can do to this high a level. That's what you're shooting for. And you were prepared to spend a top 10 pick on that guy. But what if the top 10 pick also involved paying him as much money as any safety in the NFL? Now, any safety in the NFL is still a relatively low contract compared with, you know, the top wide receiver or the top quarterback or whatever, but it's still significant. So if you already now you're you have the certainty that Jamal Adams is that guy, as opposed to the belief that Isaiah Simmons will become that guy. But still, like how much is that certainty worth compared to the money you then have to cough up in order to attain him? Like it's this interesting balance between again we've talked about this all the way through the draft process the what is the value of that certainty like jamal adams you are certain is at this level but a huge amount of his value so far has been the fact that he's been on not a lot of money 
I think it depends on the team when it comes to the financials because look, every team, every team's going to have guys, you know, that, that get top dollar. You see some teams and it's, you know, three fifths of their offensive line are right there in their top five or 10 paid players. Like somebody on the team is probably going to get big money. And if you look at all of the positions, obviously quarterbacks, a whole different animal, but if you're going to pay a high end wide receiver or you're going to pay a high end cornerback, I think that's fine. But like teams are throwing money away out on defensive tackles and guards. I mean, there are guards making 13 or 14 million a year. If, if teams are willing to do that, they're absolutely going to be willing to do it for Jamal Adams, who should be making an impact, you know, a lot, a lot bigger than a guard, uh, you know, the way he, the way he plays the game. So um, you want to go through the teams. I mean, so we, he's a fit for all 32 teams, but right. are there certain teams besides Dallas, who you mentioned, you know, how he's going to fit in and, and based off their strengths and weaknesses where he's best. You're also right, though, that the like it varies by team in terms of how much money you're willing to dedicate to this. Um, so think about the Colts, right? The Colts this year essentially gave DeForest Buckner a monster contract that probably no other team in the NFL would have given him almost because they needed to spend to get rid of some of the money, right? There's a, yep. there's a cap floor you need to hit, and they basically traded away that first-round pick, snagged Butner, Buckner, re-signed him to this monster deal, effectively just to hit that floor. Um, whereas the 49ers, you know, they did the reverse, essentially. They traded him away so they didn't need to pay him because they don't have that kind of money or didn't want to spend that kind of money on him. So the Cowboys are in the position where they, you know, Dak Prescott signed his tender, but they still need to get him done long-term. In theory, they do not have market resetting money to burn on a safety just as a whim. They're about to get into a lot more of a, a tight situation with their salary cap because of their quarterback. But you look at the other end of the spectrum, if you start projecting out 2021 salary cap space, the Colts are at the top again, the Chargers have a ton of money, the Jags, the Patriots, the Bengals, the Redskins would be an interesting one. Um, like those are the teams that you need to, I think, have essentially some spending room in order to be willing to invest in a luxury, if you like, in a guy like uh, Jamal Adams. So if I got, can I get the uh, Mark Schlereth? thrown in here <laughs> yes you could, you could add those for anything really um of those teams you just mentioned like the jags redskins they're out because they're not good jamal doesn't want to go there hmm. and the patriots are out they're in the, the division you know he again he mentioned all of the contenders you, you see a team like the chiefs obviously the defending super bowl champs well they're almost certainly out because they're debating whether or not to sign chris jones and if they can afford him along with patrick mahomes in the future now if the Chiefs had a choice between signing Jamal Adams or Chris Jones, that might not be as much of a slam dunk as the people think. The people would probably lean Chris Jones in defensive line, and we would normally lean, okay, maybe the safety. But I also don't think either one is the right guy or the right play for the Chiefs long term because of you know keeping that offense intact is more important. Were the Seahawks on his list? Um, I'm trying to look for like the official list in list form. Schefter had it, right? Yeah, I'd have to find. I mean, I, I saw it. I, don't, I just didn't literally memorize every single. No, uh, I get that. Every I just single one. When you were talking about his list, you actually had his list readily to hand. I'm yeah, not, I've been I've been searching for, for it. It's my fault. Forty uh, ers are on the list, and they're so they're a fascinating one too because they're the team that plays the classic cover three, and they would have potentially a more defined role for Jamal Adams. Got it. Give the list. 
Ravens, Cowboys, Texans, Chiefs, Eagles, 49ers, and Seahawks. And then later, it was reported that the Bucks were added to the list. Okay. I think and the Seahawks would... make a lot of sense. Like, Jamal Adams in that defense, he can be your cam chancellor again, you know, give you that versatility and a guy that can set the tone physically for that defense, that can do an awful lot for what they want to do. I think he enables you to sort of evolve that system a little bit and become version 2.0 of the thing that's become a little bit stale as well. So if they do that, right, I'm I'm wondering if – I thought about this with that other guy who came out of Florida State who plays with the Chargers now who doesn't have hmm. a name. I thought about this with him because a guy that's so versatile and could play dime linebacker or could be play free safety, right, has that ability. Do you – do you lose some of their versatility, which, which is like I'm being I'm good at everything, not just like I can kind of do it like I'm good at everything. Um, do you lose some of that if you just throw them into the classic strong safety role in a cover three? Like if you're trying to make Jamal Adams into Cam Chancellor, he'll play the run well, play short zone ex- extremely well. But are you losing some of his playmaking ability on the back end? Are you losing some of his man coverage ability against tight ends? Like we've seen him go one on one with Gronk in man coverage as well. Right. Or are you losing some of that blitz slash pass rush ability? So Seattle or the 49ers on that list, they both play that similar scheme. And I wonder if they would almost limit him too much. The Seahawks, I think, I I think they could use that as a a chance to evolve the defense, though. Like, I think if they were planning on plugging him in, just saying, right, be Cam Chancellor and nothing else, maybe. But I think they could use that as an opportunity to say, all right, we don't have to play base 80% 80% of the snaps anymore. Like, we can actually get more creative in this. If you knew that they were going to do that, I think that would be. Yeah. Would so be let's good. fire through his list team by team quickly and either say that that's possible or just knock them out of contention. I don't think the Ravens are in contention because they've just done this creative thing on defense. They've shown they can get production out of pretty much anybody. They've been moving all kinds of safeties all around that defense. I don't know that they're going to want to invest heavily in a guy that gives them the versatility that they already have. However, with the offseason stuff going on with Earl Thomas, I don't know if they're trying to get out from having Earl on the team. They essentially deployed Earl Thomas. Like, if you, if a year ago you were saying, De- if you're going to deploy a safety in this manner, play him in the box, blitz him over 100 times a year, which is a lot for a safety like the Ravens did with Earl Thomas. I think it was close to 100, or the way they do with Chuck Clark. Mm-hmm. That is Jamal Adams, right? Like, Jamal yeah. Adams, anybody whose name has versatility attached to it when we talk about him is a fit for the Ravens off a defense. And especially if they were to flip Earl Thomas to make room for Jamal Adams, I think that might be the perfect fit out of all those teams. The fact that they got so much production out of Chuck Clark, though, suggests that I don't, they're not going to want to throw heavy investment at it. Um, Understandable. Go ahead. Cowboys next. I don't think the Cowboys have the money to make it happen. At least right. not if they're planning properly. Like if they want to take, I guess if they want to take the Zeke Elliott approach and be like, spend now and deal with the consequences down the line, maybe, but that seems risky. The Texans, trouble I keep... Okay. Texans don't have the draft capital to make it happen anymore. Yeah, the Texans can't trade anything for him. Um, Chiefs, you already ruled out. Um, Chiefs, Seahawks, I ruled out, plus they, they're already... They're overflowing in, like, safety slot right. hybrids and, and guys that, that do a lot of things on the back end. Seahawks, I think, is a great fit. And then the other two are the Eagles and the 49ers. The Eagles make a lot of sense schematically, but they don't have the money to make it happen. Like, next year, they're projected to be in cap hell. So I don't think that works. The 49ers make some sense. I could see that as a fit as well. So, And the thing about the 49ers, right, it is so tough. We've mentioned this a few times, too. Like, it's so tough to repeat. 
Mm. And all of the 49ers offseason moves are essentially lateral moves, right? Like you lose Emmanuel Sanders in the offseason. You lose DeForest Buckner. You replace him with Javon Kinlaw. You, you replace Sanders potentially with Brandon Ayuk. And that's a little risky. That's through the draft to replace two guys who are established players. And across the board, like you lose Joe Staley. You bring in Trent Williams. Like they're doing a lot of things to like keep their head above water, so to speak, to just compete. Um, and they competed a little out of nowhere last year. So there are plenty of question marks with the 49ers' ability to duplicate what they did last year. If they're able to add a playmaker like a Jamal Adams, that helps take a step forward rather than just, you know, staying afloat year to year. Yeah, it, and it would also be really smart. So they got kind of almost career years out of their safeties last year. Um, Jimmy Ward in particular, I think, had the best year of his career. Chikuski yep. Tart looked good. It would, I think, be really smart for them to be like, I'm not banking on that again. You know, a lot of teams, yep. I think, make the mistake of saying, well, we got a career year at this guy right. in playing in our system. He's only going to get better and better. It's like, oh, or he, you hit like the upswing and he's going to come back down. And you would be really smart to think about it, an overall upgrade while you have the opportunity. The the Eagles are the, the all of their offseason additions, too. I mean, they they're like the Ravens. They look like they're not going completely positionless football, but boy, did they add a whole bunch of hybrid type of players. They drafted Davion Taylor and Kayvon Wallace, who are slot linebacker, strong safety type of hybrids. Jatavis Brown from the Chargers, who's a linebacker, pass rush type of hybrid. Will Parks, corner safety hybrid. I mean, they're hybrid players everywhere on that defense. But to your point, if they don't have the money um, and then the Bucks were that late addition as well, the Bucks being in win now mode with Tom Brady they just the way they drafted was to essentially need and value matched up Tristan Wirfs is going to start immediately at right tackle Antoine Winfield will probably you know compete for snaps right away at safety and if you look at the Bucks, unbelievable investment at cornerback the last couple of years that could pay off Carlton Davis Sean Murphy Bunting uh, Jamel Dean those guys have looked pretty good, but the safety position is still a massive question mark. That's why Winfield went in the second round. Jamal Adams immediately makes an impact, and he's back there with Todd Bowles, uh, you know, with the Bucks. And the Eagles actually have, like, so they have some of them there. I think they have the fourth most cap space in the NFL right now, but it's next year where it becomes a problem because they got a lot of contracts that are either escalating or need to be redone. Like, they, it's not that they couldn't do it, but again it's sort of like the Zeke Elliott thing right it starts to impact a lot if you make that move the Eagles are an interesting team because they're they've been real they've had one of the strongest rosters for a while now before the Super Bowl before they won the Super Bowl in 2017 we were calling them one of the best rosters in the NFL so we're really looking at like year five of the Eagles on paper essentially having a top five six seven roster right but their strength has always been on both lines and the one year where they put it all together and won the Super Bowl, the secondary came together. That's where it came together. This would be their chance, right? Because they have decisions to make here. Um, Jason Peters is already out at left tackle. Uh, Brandon Brooks is going to be out for the season with the mm. Achilles, right? So that offensive line's maybe taking a step back. The defensive line slowly having some turnover. Like, they're not as dominant as they've been in recent years. Could they redeploy their resources, not sign some of those defensive linemen long-term and maybe build back to front instead of front to back. I don't know that they'll necessarily change their philosophy, but it, it has been interesting watching them sustain this good roster. And it's kind of coming to a, to a head, as you mentioned next year, financially. So um, yeah, Eagles, it, it's all, it's all, it's all teams that could use Jamal Adams, Sam. So 
Do you have a la- uh, landing spot? Do you think, you know, him and the Jets just, uh, just play I like chicken? the Seahawks. I think that made a lot of sense. I mean, none of this solves the problem of the idea that he's not worth more than a first-round pick to anybody. Like, that's, their, that's the biggest stumbling block right now. If the Jets want more than a first back firm, I don't see them getting that, to be honest. Um, let's just mention, by the way, with Seattle, I don't know what happens with the um, the off-field incident with uh, Quentin Dunbar. But Quentin Dunbar, for, what, a fifth-round pick, the, the cornerback from the Washington Redskins, he's a former wide receiver who's, like, just starting to figure things out at, uh, at corner. Like, that could be one of the absolute steals of the offseason because oh, yeah. it fit a major need. It was a steal right up until he got arrested for armed robbery or whatever it was. For armed robbery. So, we'll see. I don't, I don't know what ends up happening there. But their secondary is not great. And that's part of the reason why they're rolling three linebackers out there on every single yeah. play. So, any sort of coverage versatility uh, on the back end for Seattle, I think, is needed. I'm okay with that. So, there you go. Okay. Jamal Adams to Seattle. You heard, heard it here first. Hmm. That's what's going to happen. All right, where are we going now? You got two minutes on this Marquette King thing. <laughs> so Marquette King, the former Raiders punter, uh, for anyone that doesn't remember him, posted – he seemed to get into it on Twitter. I can't tell which came first, but he posted a tweet that said, if I played rugby, I would dominate it easily. Uh, I don't have a time on that. But he also posted a poll about which sport would you find the better overall athlete. Uh, oh, that came later. So, yeah. You then posted a poll as if, because apparently backlash started to hit and then decided to try and back himself up. Like, oh, which one gives you the better athlete? That poll was evidently hijacked by rugby people because apparently 78.6% of the 23,000 people that replied think rugby gives you the superior athlete. Hmm. But anyway, a bunch of rugby people latched onto this tweet of him saying he would crush rugby and disagree. Let's just say that. Uh, the All Blacks called him out on it and said you're welcome to join to join well he's welcome to join them for training anytime um and then a bunch of other rugby players basically just like you know bitch please um where does his so marquette king who is he right yeah half so, of our half of our people don't know you know i told you former pun- raiders punter right who was just a massive leg yeah right didn't always know where it was going but a massive leg um, he did reach some heights where he was one of the better punters in the NFL. He was all hype for a while, but became right. a really good punter. And he's a really good athlete. He can run. Like, where would his. So that's the Where thing, does that right? punting ability actually fit in in the rugby world? Well, that's the thing. As an athlete, so usually if you were saying, right, a punter, NFL players generally transitioning to rugby, I would be intrigued by, right? I think there's a lot to work with there. It's specifically at certain positions. And, you know, Dahani Jones did some. Uh, did something like a TV show years ago where he used to go and try weird sports in the world and he did rugby for a while. He only trained for like a week with somebody in England, I think. And they were like, look, this, I mean, he played a game for them and he was okay, but they were like, dude, if like, if this guy had some time to work with this, he'd be really good in a hurry. Um, so, you know, obviously linebacker rugby has a lot of transitional skills, um, but you'd be like punter. Bunter's <laughs> like the one position where you're kind of like, eh, I don't know. But Marquette King is not like a regular punter. Like he was an athlete who happened to be a punter as opposed to a punter who's got no business being anywhere else. So that would be interesting. The fact that he can kick is almost irrelevant because there's no way he's going to have, I think, the sort of nuance and skill set to play 
like out half, which is where the the primary kicking job is. Um, I guess you could play him at fullback and like unleash his leg that way. But that's what I, I was thinking. Yeah, of course. I don't. And again, I don't know how much. I don't know how much the leg part of it is even relevant. I think it's sort of athlete to to rugby, and he's he's a decent athlete. But again, it's like when you come from one sport that you've played to a completely different one that you've never played and expect to get that right off the bat, that feels ambitious. Great. Great. I got nothing nothing to add to it. I thought that there was I thought there was some world where he can kick the ball like fifty yards and like score some points or something like that. I can well, he do that? I mean he could if he was if he was their place kicker, he would be doing that. But I don't I mean, have we ever even seen him try and kick a field goal? Okay. Like we don't know if he can kick. We also don't I mean, we don't know how well that translates to kicking a rugby ball. He can't be the different. the running the running drop kick guy, play a little field position game, he can't do any of that. <laughs> There's not a. I mean, he could attempt a drop kick. I don't know how successful that would be. Again, like I don't. I honestly don't think the fact that he can kick is doesn't even matter. Relevant. Like it kicking might doesn't be, matter. All it, right. Well, again, you you might be able to sort of play the field position battle if you put him at fullback and just told him to unleash a kick every now and again. But you've got to have like positional sense and stuff when it comes to defending at fullback. And I he just he's never played the game. So my hunch is that he you'd have to stick him somewhere in the middle of the back line just because that's the most idiot proof short term like transition position that's the equivalent hmm. of like the rugby players that come in and they play punt returner and running back right because it's as idiot proof as you can make the position like you would have to stick him somewhere at like center or wing and just say look try not to hurt yourself and if you get the ball do something good and i don't know how good an athlete he is compared with like that level so my hunch is the rugby guys are right that he'd get his ass kicked all right, we've dedicated enough time to that. Uh, the other question you wanted to answer, where does Colin Kaepernick fit in in the NFL? Where would be a good landing spot for Kaepernick if he's uh, going to be making a comeback? Yeah, so it, yeah, it, obviously the commission has come out and urged teams to sign him, so whatever about him being... Hold on, is that what he said? He encouraged them, I think. This is like he came out initially and did the whole, you know, Black Lives Matter thing. I didn't he, hear the follow up to that. Maybe so I should he came out later and apparently I urged, encouraged. I don't know what the exact word you want to look. I don't have the wording to hand, but he definitely encouraged teams to sign Kaepernick or to get into it. Anthony Lynn had to deal with this, you know, asking where was he on. Basically, team, like people are now looking for where he's going to land and interrogating everyone as to how it's going to go. Um, so I think it's interesting. He, People are, A, talking about, well, look, it's four years out of the game. What is he now? I think it's more interesting to talk about what he was when he left because I think because of what happened to him in terms of being um, run out of the league, I think people are trying to kind of revise history as to what exactly he was the last time he played. Um, it's helped by the fact that his touchdown-interception ratio was crazy. What was it, like 16 touchdowns to four picks, um, which is a great ratio, his – but everything else was not that great. So even his passer rating, and obviously passer rating is a massively flawed stat, but it's indicative of how that passing offense was. His passer rating that year was 90, 90.7. Tyra Taylor's passer rating that year was 89.7. So they're like one point different. Um, Tyra Taylor had 17 touchdowns to six interceptions. Like you can make a very real case that Colin Kaepernick at the time of his departure or his last season playing was basically Tyrod Taylor. And Tyrod Taylor actually had a better PFF grade 
that season. And yet Taylor is one of the people that people are like, because of what happened to him in Cleveland, like people are zeroing in on Tyra Taylor going, well, of course, Kaepernick's better than him as a starter. I don't know that that's true. I think you need to start accepting the idea that Kaepernick right now is a backup option. Um, and that's not to say he isn't better than I a lot of backup options. I think that has, to be, that has right. to be the starting point. But he's not a starter until he proves otherwise, right? He's a backup for somebody. Now you get into this interesting discussion because there's a lot of players that exist on rosters that are, you know, young development gambles, right? So they're there not necessarily because right now they're better than Colin Kaepernick or any other random player. They're there because the idea is that if you gambled right in a year's time or two years' time with development, they can be way better than that. Um, so you almost have to discount all of those guys. Like all the young guys that are drafted with that in mind almost don't count. The guys that I think you should realistically be asking about are the Chad Hennies and the Matt Castles of the world, the people that we've been railing against for a while in terms of being basically a wasted roster spot because they're not they're not there because they can play they're there because of what they do week to week game planning in the meeting room locker room whatever they're there for reasons other than on-field performance and at that point i think you have a very real discussion that kaepernick is a better than those guys and b probably brings more to the table in terms of you winning games yeah let's let's go back and put that into perspective what you mentioned though in 2016 i there is Let's have a nuanced conversation here, Sam. We have discussed this before on the podcast as well. Um, There can be a balance between the guys good enough to be in the NFL and not just citing his 90.7 passer rating from 2016 and saying, look, he's a starter. Um, 2016, he had a 57.8 grade that ranks 29th in the NFL. Um, His previous year, he had a 47 grade in 2015 with the 49ers. the reason why that passer rating was high, I think this is one of the the lost nuggets about Chip Kelly, who was in the NFL for four years, 2013 through 16, three years with the Eagles, one with the 49ers. Chip Kelly's quarterbacks always, other than one year, outperformed their PFF grades. 2013 was Nick Foles' legendary season, 27 touchdowns, two interceptions. PFF grade was like 10th or 11th. Stats exceeded his performance. 2014, Mark Sanchez came in and had like an 89 passer rating, and it was by far the most productive time of his career. His PFF grade still wasn't even great. 2015, Sam Bradford, the one guy who I thought would actually be a good fit, but because the guy couldn't move, had no mobility, nobody bought into the zone read stuff. He didn't play all that. His his stats weren't that great. He actually played well, but his stats weren't that good. So Bradford was like the one guy where it didn't match. And then Kaepernick in 2016 didn't play that well. And they were playing from behind a lot. There was a lot of garbage time stuff and they didn't play that well. And the stats were good. So that's the reality of the situation. It is worth giving the caveat though, that he sort of rushed back from injury that year to basically prevent his job being given to Blaine Gabbard. Right. So rushes back probably wasn't anywhere near a hundred percent, but the, so I think I, 2016. I'm not even saying. All I'm trying to say is like, don't cite the stats from that right. year and say this is definitive. The stats in Chip Kelly's system have Agreed. a track record of being better than performance. But even but if like, you want to say that that year doesn't represent, you know, his capabilities because of the injury and all those other things, I, I think you just need the bottom line is the best PFF grade of his career came in that 2012 season where he yeah. was good. He 
you know, really scared teams. The 49ers were really good, so that helped everything. It was basically 80, right? Which puts him where Derek Carr was last season, which is to say certainly a viable starter, but people are losing patience with what you're showing. And that's kind of, I honestly think that's where he was by 2016, is that it's not that there was nothing there. It's just that people were losing patience with him as a starter, the way they've lost patience with Jameis Winston, the way they've lost patience um, with, or losing patience with Derek Carr. He was in that sort of realm of there's definitely ability here, but we're starting to get fed up with the relative inadequacies of his game compared with guys like, uh, like, you know, Patrick Mahomes or Russell Wilson or Lamar Jackson guys that are, you know, legit right now. I think Kaepernick was reaching that point. Then everything blew up and he, you know, essentially got blackballed out of the league. I mean, a couple good points there. I'll say this. I was, I was buying in, in 2012 because not only he has a cannon for an arm and I was still, I'm still intrigued by a cannon for an arm because it does allow you different leeway to just to do different things, but there needs to be development elsewhere. He never really developed touch. The thing that sold me on him was the deep crossers. Like he was throwing stuff with like a little bit of touch. He could kind of layer it a little bit, but for the most part, he was a one speed thrower. And I think that hurt him on a lot of the um, his inaccuracy and just touch on the, on the short stuff was never great, but you combine that with the dynamic, acceleration he, you know every runner is different he was an accelerator like he just hit top speed pretty quickly for a you know six foot five guy and top speed he was fast man i mean you could use him in the run game but he never really progressed to your point 12 was his peak to the teams that need him right now i think it's exactly what you said earlier like if your backup isn't a quote-unquote developmental option then kaepernick should probably be in the mix the team like the pittsburgh steelers I think makes a lot of sense, not necessarily because of the scheme, the system, whatever. It's just because Ben Roethlisberger is backed up by Mason Rudolph right now, you know, and he's, you don't want to completely give up on Mason Rudolph, but if you want to win this year, Colin Kaepernick's probably going to give you a better chance if Ben Roethlisberger is not healthy. Right. In terms of, in terms of like, you know, yes, hundred percent agree in terms of like actually getting a shot at a starting gig what he needed was the Marcus Mariota job, right? Which is to come in as a backup behind Derek Carr and wait until Derek Carr hangs himself and they have to do to him what happened to Marcus Mariota last year, which is, you know, he basically played his way to the bench and you make that uh, that swap as a starter. That would have been like his best shot at actually starting again. But I think the, the Steelers are a great one. I think the Chiefs are one of the best landing spots out there. Again, their backup is Chad Henney. Chad Henney cannot start for you. Like he, if he has to play games, oh, you're, you're so mad at Chad. You're Henney. screwed. So Colin Kaepernick could come in. That would pair him with Andy Reid, which would be a fascinating combination. I think the other thing that is in his favor in terms of what he could do now is that the league is a little bit more inclined to embrace different skill sets now than it was in 2012. Now he had a guy in 2012 um, in Greg Roman who did that. Like they built this system around him and it was really productive. Then obviously there were coaching changes, but Greg Roman is in Baltimore. Baltimore would be an interesting spot. I know they have RG3, they have Trace McSorley, but like he's probably better than both those guys. So that would be a fascinating backup for a guy that's already had him in the system and they're already running a system that kind of lends itself to that skill set. Kansas City, I really like. Cleveland would be kind of interesting. That wouldn't be a bad, for a, in terms of him taking a shot at it, that wouldn't be a bad gamble to be like, 
this guy has a certain amount of rope in terms of Baker Mayfield. Like, if he stinks again this year, that's a job I could actually claim. Uh, the uh, the Vikings could be in the mix with Sean Mannion as mm-hmm. their backup. The, uh, the Rams, uh, even though I might know some people that like John Wolford, who's scheduled to be the backup right now, um, and they have one of our analytical darlings, Josh Love, as an undrafted free agent in camp as well. So there's kind of developmental options there, or at least John Wolford, um, an expected backup. But those are, you know, those are potential landing spots. The people were, that were talking about the Chargers, though, give your take once again, um, you know, more concise, not concise, but like very clearly, everybody seemed to think like, oh, it's got to be the Chargers. Right. right, it's got to be the Chargers because they have Tyrod as the starter. But they just drafted Justin Herbert, and to your point, the last time we saw Tyrod versus Kaepernick, like Tyrod so, was better. There's three quarterbacks on this roster right now. There's Justin Herbert, current first round pick. There's Easton Stick, last year's fifth round pick, and there's Tyrod Taylor, who a I think was like Taylor in Cleveland stank. He was awful, like absolutely wretched to the point where, again, it was one of those Blake Bortles situations where the rookie is supposed to sit for a while. And he lasted, what, two and a half games before Taylor was playing so badly they had to pull him and and Baker Mayfield came in. Um, But that, I think Taylor's a better quarterback than that. I don't know what the hell happened to him in Cleveland that period, but he was so much worse than anything we'd ever seen in Buffalo or in limited snaps in, in Baltimore before he got the move. In Buffalo, like he's a very he's a flawed quarterback in terms of he's not necessarily a high volume guy, though as we said, when you put him in those situations, turns out he's played better than you would have thought. He's, you know, a, a factor in the run game. He holds onto the ball a long time. He's not an ideal quarterback skill set, but he's careful with the ball, a lot like Kaepernick. He is reasonably accurate with the ball. He's like he's not a terrible quarterback, and I think if you look at PFF grades, he's never graded worse than basically high-end Kaepernick, um, and he's there like he's the placeholder right now. Like he's a guy who Anthony Lynn is um, comfortable with. There's some history there back in Buffalo where they made him like a heavy part of that run game, and then he's basically keeping the seat warm until they feel comfortable with Justin Herbert. It just doesn't make sense to mess with that at this point. Like, even if you think there's a tiny incremental gain in terms of absolute playing quality between Kaepernick and Tyra Taylor, that guy's only going to be starting for a few games until Herbert comes in. So why would you why would you make that change? Yeah, I, mean, I don't think there's a clear path uh, for him to be a starter. I think, uh, you know, competing for a backup role. The guy Makes that sense. he would deserve a spot yeah. over is Easton Stick. But Easton Stick's sure. a third quarterback who might not make the roster and it's going to cost a fraction of what Kaepernick would because of a veteran minimum deal. So, again, it's not the great, that, that's not the angle to take either. I just don't – the Chargers don't make a lot of sense to me. I think there's a lot of teams where he actually has a much stronger case. Like, again, the Chiefs, Chad Henney. <laughs> Chad Henney is your backup. Stop. Stop it now. Sean Mannion, the Vikings. Yes. All right, so – Find the, find the backup role and go get him. But, See what and, happens. And again, not to, you know, hate on Henny too much, but Henny, again, is like how many years has he been in the league? Like his veteran minimum contract is expensive. Sean Manny, yeah. at least, has been crappy for a shorter period of time, so he's cheaper. But, like, like Chad Henny costs you a significant amount of money to keep his, like, drag on the roster. Like, All if right, you well, value let's... what he does week to week, just hire him as a coach. 
give someone the actual roster spot. It's a good locker room, guy, Sam. All right, keep them in the locker room. Don't let them play. That's the only answer. Um, all right, let's get into some of the questions. Let's go. Let's fly through some some mailbag stuff. Uh, we have a question about uh, – and one of our astute listeners actually answered this on Twitter for us already, but we can handle it right here. What is your overall philosophy on when it comes to building a long-term great offensive line? Is it high or low draft picks, overly veteran offensive line, young O-line, or a mix? My thinking is you don't have if you don't have five great Pro Bowl worthy players on the O line, you keep firing and taking shots on that position. That's from Stephen B. Smith on Twitter. Stephen B. Smith. B. B is oh, in B. baseball. I see. Yeah. Yeah. One after Stephen A. Uh, we've we've definitely we have a whole creep back toward average shirt. I mean, uh, our listeners from a long time know that we advocate at least be at mid-tier at the offensive line. So I would disagree with the strategy to keep firing until you have pro ball, pro bowlers. I would keep firing until you're at least in the middle class and then build elsewhere. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, as, oh, as you so say, that's it. well, we've answered it many times in the past. So, by the way, so one guy, uh, what's this guy's name? Andy from Cork, Cork in Ireland, um, hate those asked people. me if I would right? wear. Is that right? He, Wait, I don't hate anybody. I'm just kidding. But you, go ahead. If uh, if he sent a cork jersey, would I wear it in the podcast? Um, being from Dublin, there's there's no way I would ever no. wear a cork jersey on the podcast. Either. So that's a no. But no I said way. I'd give him a shout out anyway. Andy from Cork, good job, Andy from Cork. Appreciate the, the listen. Um, this one goes back to our Jamal Adams discussion. It seems like Dollar Store Jamal Adams slash Derwin James. He was mentioned. Uh, those types of players are being undervalued in terms of positional value. Guys like Von Bell, Jabril Peppers, they can cover, play the run at acceptable rates. More so talking about the actual type rather than those specific guys from a production standpoint. So the actual type of player, are they being undervalued? The, the do-it-all types, but the dollar store versions of, say, Jamal Adams or Derwin James? No, I think they're being valued exactly where they should be, which is to say not highly. I think that might be the single most replaceable role in the NFL. Guys that can do safeties, that can do pretty much everything at a barely passable NFL level, I think are everywhere right now. Yeah, I'm I'm back and forth on this because if you if you tell me it's it's Jamal Adams or Derwin and, and look, the, we always talk about the pass rush stuff. I mean, that really is a small percentage of what they do. But the ability to go in from a game plan standpoint and deploy this guy in any given role. Yeah, but this like, is the well, dollar store version. The dollar store, but that the dollar store version implies that they at least have those skills. Jabril Peppers doesn't really have those skills. Von Bell doesn't really have those skills. Like Kenny Vaccaro was thought of as one of these guys. What you're describing, though, is like the box safety. Like if you throw 40 safeties <laughs> as the eighth man in the box over and over and over again, they're going to make a ton of run stops. No, I think you're just like misunderstanding or misremembering the quality of, you know, the dollar store equivalent of whatever it is you're trying to get. Like, think of it as the Chinese knockoff version of whatever it is you want, right? The stitching's a little off. It doesn't quite look like the thing you want. Like, in theory, all Some the pieces of my old football are the same. jerseys, yeah. Right. In theory, all the pieces are the same, and yet when you get it up close, it's not quite, it's not quite what you paid for. That's what we're talking about here. It's from a distance. It looks like Jamal Adams or the player whose name we must not mention. But when you get up close, you see all the problems and the fact that he can't actually do any of the stuff you want him to. And he breaks down after seven, you know, days and you just wasted all your money. That's what we're talking about here. 
yeah. I, I, so this reminds me of like the spread offense and in any, any sort of trend, right? Like a good spread offense when it took over college football was awesome. But when Michigan started running the spread offense with the six foot five statue, it's not good, right? So it's not necessarily the plays or in this case, the deployment of the player, the skill of the player does matter. So um, I think you can, I, I would say you can overvalue versatility, right? Versatility is great when it is really high end across the board, but you can overvalue it as well. If you're just like, oh, this guy does like a little bit of everything at a dollar store level, it can be overvalued. Um, here's a good one too um, from, I don't know, Africa Douglas at Africa <laughs> Douglas. Andy from Cork is now offering to send you an extra large Cork jersey if you'll wear it. He's he's since I rejected him. What's this look like? It'll what be color? red. It would match my teddy chair back here, my little it guy would. Teddy. It would match your um, teddy chair. I don't know XL. That's not going to cover with you, right? You need there's going to be no, more X's involved. I'm XL tall, but like I could use a, a lot of shirts like a double XL. You're only XL tall. Yeah, and like a like a dress shirt or like a fitted shirt or a t-shirt or something like that. Huh. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that's, it's getting closer to double XL by the day, but <laughs> you know, um, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't do that to you, Sam. You wouldn't I do wouldn't. it to me? No, I wouldn't do it. Wouldn't we do wouldn't it. do it to your, your Lancer heritage. Oh, wait, maybe producer, uh, Mike or Tyler. They've got some retro it. ones that are green. Apparently I didn't know oh. those. Are they I thought everything green? in Ireland was green, so I they just... might always be green. Maybe I've misrepresented them as being red. Do you I even assumed... know? Well, Cork's always red. What do you mean? This is like, this is like saying the Browns. Oh, they wear red and just like forgetting. Yeah, this is like the this is the soccer league. I don't I don't really pay attention to that. I oh, just it's soccer. They were red because they're red at everything else. It's anyway, stock Sam, at the moment, so it's not it's... coming either way. We had a question about the best young shutdown corner in the league and the suggested questions were Marlon Humphrey or Jeffrey Akuda. And I think about taking him up on that offer, that's quite a nice Jersey. <laughs> I'll tell you, I mean, sure. I'll wear a cork Jersey. I don't care. I just dropped I it. In you, thing. I thought you hate. Let me see. Well, look, I wouldn't, I can, I'm from Dublin. You, you don't have the allegiance. Yeah. I'll wear this thing. <laughs> sure. I like free stuff. <laughs> I mean, I'm always looking for like, hey, what am I going to wear on the podcast? You don't want to double up every week. I don't yeah, want to wear the wear throw your... the ball, throw the damn ball shirt. I'd, I'd rock that thing. You could wear your Cork City home jersey. Oh, this is University of College Cork. Well, that's who they're sponsored by, right? UCC. And then, and then they have it written in Irish. I- Irish. Yes, sure. What's it written in? Irish. Under the Irish. Yeah. Cork City established 1984. I'm older Not than Not a ton of history in the, uh, the Irish Soccer League. I'm Don't older, worry about it. Older than those guys, I guess. Um, anyway, uh, best young cornerback in the league. I would actually say the suggestion of Marlon Humphrey is the right one. Mm. And I mentioned this stat recently as well. When you just isolate the single coverage and targets over the last few years, it is Stephon Gilmore. Casey Hayward and Marlon Humphrey in a different world compared to the rest of the NFL. And I thought Marlon Humphrey was a fascinating case from an evaluation standpoint coming out because he was one of those guys who was like, like he's in tight coverage a lot. He was in sticky coverage over and over and over again, but he averaged, he gave up like 14 or 15 yards per catch at Alabama 
but it was one of those things where it's, where it's like he's good at the thing that matters, right? Which is like playing man coverage, being in close proximity. And then every now and again, you give up a contested catch or the ball doesn't go your way or QB makes a great throw. And But like over time, if you're playing tight coverage, good things will happen. And that's exactly what's happened with Marlon Humphrey and that grade in single coverage. So I think he would be the guy, the next great young corner. I got four more names, I think. Um... Okay. We have to mention, I think, Tredavious White, even though he graded yeah. worse than we or than the general perception, right? Everyone thought he was an all pro last year. We didn't grade him anywhere near that. I think he has the talent to be at that kind of level. Um, I think the perception was skewed a little. Like Ben Stockwell sent me a, a tweet that somebody had posted that was like checking. It was bets. Betts posted checking in on corners unblocked in the run game, and it was Tredavious White coming down, just falling face first in the turf, while a running back runs right around him and goes like. 40 yards we for touchdown. That yeah. Right. That gets this extremely negative grade. That gets doesn't even show up in like coverage numbers or anything else, right? So when you're saying, oh, six interceptions, no touchdown. So that's a good one. No touchdowns allowed, right? It's that our own is a fault. touchdown. We, but we tweeted that last week. It's our own fault sure. for pushing the wrong narrative, the wrong but stats. No touchdowns allowed is one of his narratives for the season. That is a touchdown allowed that he yeah. surrendered by being the end guy on a run to his side, and he just face-planted rather than stopping his guy. Um, so, but my point, after bashing him, my point is that I think Tredavious White has the talent to be in that conversation. Jair Alexander is another guy that has the talent to be in that conversation. I thought he was there at the start of last season, then he kind of tailed off and didn't back up the first few weeks of the season uh, with the back end. I think Denzel Ward has got the ability as well. Like, he's... His coverage numbers are pretty absurd. The grade isn't quite there yet, but it's heading in the right direction. Um, I think Denzel Ward, again, everything in Cleveland fell to pieces, right? I think Ward could be another player that bounces back a little bit. And then the last name that I'm less confident in, but I'm really intrigued by, is Jamel Dean. Jamel Dean. I knew that was coming, yeah. His numbers were just nuts. And it was a smaller sample size and blah, blah, blah. But let's see if he can keep that going. Yeah, uh Jair Alexander, I kept sending you messages last week, uh, last year, uh, Marcus Peters, Marcus Peters. Jair Alexander feels like that guy that's going to have like an eight interception season. He's going to make a ton of plays, but he also might give up 800 yards of coverage every now and again. Like he is a little boomer bust, um, which will be great to to see because I think, you know, in, in certain years, I think Jair, Jair will really put it together. And your point about Jamal Dean, he just broke up a ton of passes in a small sample size last year. Um, so you still need to see more, but he is a monster who can move. And, you know, so you've got skill set plus a little on-field production last year to, uh, to go on there. You want to do one or two more? Let's do one more. And then that little college football setup, even though this is an NFL podcast, uh, the question about the, will the quote unquote running backs don't matter in the analytics movement, make us look back at past grades like Jim Brown, Walt, Walt and Walter Payton and not give them the credit. They usually get from people who believe they're the best players ever? Um, it might do, but I think it would be wrong. I don't know if we've looked at this, but I suspect that the further back in history you go, the more running backs mattered, the same way that if you go lower down the football levels, the more running backs matter. So running backs matter in college more than they matter in the NFL, and they're almost everything at high school. Um, going back in time in the NFL is like going down the levels of football. You know, think the Packers won all those Super Bowls with Vince Lombardi essentially by out-executing everybody, right? They just 
had these few plays and they drill those over and over again, power sweep until they were able to execute them better than you were able to stop them. And then they won Um, like the Browns with Paul Brown at their head. They won not even by out executing people, just by like basic principles of professionalism at a time where they didn't exist. Like they were first when it came to all the sort of basic professionalism things that we take for granted now. So they won. And I think that's the same sort of deal. So you go down Jim Brown's era is a perfect example. Like the Browns were able to crush things because of Jim Brown. He really did matter. And I think Walter Payton, you're getting closer in modern day, but I suspect the same thing is true. Like Walter Payton made legitimate differences to the offense. I think there ne- you need to get to this point, which is probably like late 90s, where the passing game became efficient enough that running stopped becoming the most efficient way to move the ball. Yeah, so I, I think one way to do this is you mentioned in college running's more effect, effective, high school it's way more effective. The difference in those levels of the sport are that the running back is much closer to the best athlete on the field. And I think in Jim Brown's era, he was absolutely the best athlete on the field. In today's NFL, who's the most like Alvin Kamara, Christian McCaffrey, Todd Gurley, whoever it is. Like, there's some dude who's bigger than you and maybe just as fast and quick and all that stuff. There's a few of those guys on the other side of the field now, right? There are great athletes at defensive end, at linebacker, all along the offensive line, at receiver, tight end. I mean, there are freak athletes all over the place. So I think as the rest of the athletes at all other other positions, you know, got closer to the best athletes on the field, if not the best athletes on the field, instead of running backs, I think that was a big part of the difference, too. Actually, when I said late 90s, honestly, what it probably was was the West Coast offense. So the West Coast offense well, is dictated probably, box count and everything, right? The West Coast offense is probably the first iteration of a system that came in where passing became more efficient than running the ball overall. Right. And even that took criticism, you know, like did the name, the West Coast offense was like a pejorative thrown at them by Bill Parcells. Um basically call them a finesse offense right it wasn't like it became known as the system but at that point it was just bill walsh's offense and then the idea was this west coast offense with their fancy passing and their short efficient receiving you know short efficient pass game couldn't survive in december or january in new york where it's minus 10 outside and we're going to pound the ball down your throat and suffocate you with this monstrous defense but the West Coast offense was probably the first time where passing became efficient enough that your running back was no longer like the most important player out there. Yeah, and I think if you go if you go look at the order of operations, so to speak, what makes a good running game, and it's you know run blocking. I bet run blocking has always been important, right? Yeah. But the box count we always talk about is is something. And back in the day, there was a lot of just eight on eight and seven on seven. Like there wasn't a whole lot of out scheming the defense, meaning the run blocking, and that that, that elevates the the role of the running back um, in that order of operations back then. And to your point, fewer teams actually worried about the pass. Nobody in the 60s, 70s, and 80s was playing the pass first until maybe the West Coast offense. Right, and but it, it, that also, I think, changes the further back you go in that I think gap discipline was worse, right? Like yeah. one of the, the Packers won by out-executing everybody else, like – now the pro- you can't do that anymore because everybody executes well to a certain degree, right? Obviously, there's degrees of well, but pretty much everybody is on the same page most of the time. Like, busted plays are not that common, um, and the same thing is true in the run game. Like, people just out 
outright busting their run fits are not that common anymore. Like everybody is more or less uh, gap disciplined and gap sound on defense. Whereas, you know, you go back a certain degree, most of your big runs are going to be because somebody jumped into the wrong gap or somebody just got, you know, whatever. Like gap discipline was not where it should have been. And therefore the running back gets his 10 yard head start before anything happens. And he has to start, you know, then dominating safeties or whatever once he gets into the second level. I just don't think the scope is there anymore for running backs to dominate in the same way. But again, the further back in history you go, the easier it was, so the more they mattered. So I I still think we'll look back favorably on the running backs. I do think because we haven't had offensive line stats and we haven't had a way to properly divide credit in the run game, running backs are probably a little bit more overrated now than they, you know, that's part of the reason why they're overrated now, right? You just know intuitively that the run game, oh, it takes 11 people, it takes all these moving parts, but like you still only credit it to the one guy. So they are a little bit overrated, but I don't think we'll look back and uh, and ding them for that. Um, okay, there was a couple one yard, a lot of QB sneak questions. Why were there multiple QB sneak questions? Or was that know. just a fun? One person, Andrew, he asked a lot of questions. He wants to put a running back under center. Yeah. I don't want him taking snaps. Well, that's the thing, right? So the reason... So the idea is, right, why don't – if you have one yard to gain, why don't you give it to your best runner as opposed to the quarterback and have him sneak? Um, one, because not all sneaks are, like, obviously telegraphed, so you still want to have some kind of element of surprise. Two, and this is the most important one, I think, running backs don't take snaps from under center. Like, that's a thing, right? There's, I mean, it's not like it takes a huge amount of time to learn, but – people get concerned when quarterbacks coming from college who have never taken a snap under center have to learn to take a snap under center. It's not the sort of thing you can teach like in three minutes on the sideline when you want to run in and do your quarterback sneaking. So you've got to at some point at least teach the running back how to even do that. And that's probably not something most people want to mess with. The other thing is that a huge amount of sneaks work because the quarterback is 250, not 210 like your running back might be your best runner but the quarterback outweighs him by 40 pounds which in trying to shift the pile six inches is probably important i um, i i just i see i i don't even know what problem we're trying to solve here like <laughs> Q, qb's you know this isn't this feels like a baseline skill you know tom brady gets a ton of credit oh he's the best qb sneak guy for like i think if you just take like a little bit of time to work on your qb sneak game as a quarterback it's not that difficult to say okay i'm gonna go to the bubble i'm gonna hesitate just a little bit and go when i'm on the goal line i've got my over the top move that drew Brees has been great at and that a few guys do um over the top you've got your borrow in there i don't think there's a ton of like ben roethlisberger like oh well he doesn't do it anyway but there's not a ton of 250 pounders like you know moving the pile or anything this thing works over 80 percent of the time i don't think we're solving a problem here other than mahomes got hurt once and every now and again, it doesn't work. But, like, quarterbacks are generally good at this. So I don't think we need to solve it. And that's why there's another question, like, why are teams reluctant to use the QB sneak in one-yard situations, but they fire goal line fades like crazy? The QB sneak works about 80% of the time, as I said. The fade works like a third of the time. And I think you Not just even. pulled out numbers that said it was even worse last year, right? <sighs> teams were like, what was it, 6 for 40, 6 for 39 or something last season? Now, last it's season really was bad. unusually unusually crappy. It's, it's usually about 30, 30%. Right. But it's a terrible play. Um, but So I don't think it's as bad as those stats would show because the I think the downside of it 
is it's it's an incomplete pass, right? In other situations, the downside is like mm-hmm. a turnover. Like you're very you're not getting a whole bunch of, and plus you get a few more pass interferences, so those don't get completed. Like it's not maybe as bad as the numbers show, but it's not as good as a sneak. It's, it's an awful sneak. play. Um, it's not awful. Th- it's Not terrible. Right. It's a terrible play. Like even if you, I did it. I broke it down by route. So if you like inside the five yard line, um, pass plays, and you just break it down by route, like it's basically the least efficient pass you could possibly attempt. Now, okay, you can say. Well, it's not going to be intercepted compared to some of these others, but still, like it, interceptions it, are rare anyway. Yeah. Well, plus EPA will take account of those, yeah. so that doesn't explain those numbers, right? It's basically the least possible efficient pass play you can attempt. The other factor with the QB sneak thing is, you know, people have done some some work on this. Like, not all and one is the same yardage, right? True. Some of it is six inches, some of it is a full yard and a half. Like that is a huge difference between whether I'm going to take a sneak or whether I'm going to uh, do something else. Like teams, you might not factor that in when you're just looking on sort of fourth and one or whatever, but teams are definitely when they decide whether they're doing this or not. Now, I don't know how effect, I don't know how far you can sneak from and still have it be an effective play, but it's certainly going to go down when you're comparing one foot to a yard plus. And that's like, that's one of the reasons it's not used more than it is. Watching uh, watching Tom Brady early in his career, you know how you just like watch a guy like Peyton Manning played the game differently, right? Like you watch Peyton Manning, he played the game differently. The one thing that Brady did that just like looked different is they he would do like that sneak where like if there's no nose tackle, he'd just run forward for six yards. Right. Or they would go empty under center and sneak it all the time. Like there's there, there's certain players who do these little nuanced things that steal first downs here and there, right? And they just look different. I would emulate those types of things, like spread, get under center, and if you see the right look, like go pick up three yards. And you don't, it's not that difficult. Like it's really just counting and just, it's just using some intelligence, I think. And I think just more teams should be doing that. Even third and three, like spread it out. And if there's a five-man box, like maybe I'll just run forward. You know, like there's, um, I don't think it's all that difficult to just, you know, focus on those types of things. Yeah, I mean, how you're attempting the sneak is important as well. Like sure. I say, fewer guys in the at the line of scrimmage, the better. All right, uh, let's wrap it up with this. Um, somebody asked if we would want to have some sort of – how is this described in soccer? Relegation. 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 Relegation for college football. Um, and uh, who, who did this here? JL Sinski on Twitter, Jared. I, I love this. So he he laid out an entire like power five. How many teams here? Three, six, nine, 12, 13, 14, 14 teams per power five. You've got an SEC, a big North, a big West, a pack and ACC. And then you have a group of five and teams are moving up and down based off of how they play. Right. That's how it goes in soccer. I think as, as college football, they, they went through all of this reshuffling and, realignment and all that stuff eight or ten years ago there was a ton of movement and people had predicted like at some point the haves and the have-nots essentially need to be separated and they'll probably be just like 64 80 teams whatever they are and they're just they're separate right they're separate from everyone else and i love that as a concept and i think if you i think you play better games you don't get the you don't get bad games as much and you make it mean something and i think when when college football gets bad is when you get like bad recruiting ebbs and flows and stuff like that. Like some teams just don't recruit well for three or four years. 
like Florida State is a great team, but they might not have talent for three or four years for whatever reason. So you just kind of like, I don't know, let the good teams play more often. I kind of like it for college football only. <laughs> it's interesting. I can't. I I don't. I like the concept of promotion relegation generally. I think it works well in the sports where it exists. Like you say, it, it reduces the number of meaningless games, and it means there's a lot of games towards the end of the season where. Like those are really important because they're the relegation games. Even if, like the stuff at the top is decided, and to an extent in college, that can't happen, right? Because everybody is shooting for the sort of national title stuff, and one slip up and you're done. Um, so they've almost like solved half the problem that a lot of other leagues don't have. Um, but the back end can be like you get a lot of games. It's just the only people watching these are the teams directly impacted and even then they don't really care because it's a meaningless outing I adding relegation threat to the back end of like all these power five conferences would be huge so this guy is divided up basically if you're in the power five you can be relegated to the group of five if you're in the group of five you can be relegated to the fcs and promotion working the other way as well so i like it i like that yeah and i and i think if you're in the group of five now so like in this scenario boise state byu and nevada have been elevated to the group uh, that is essentially the pac-12 hmm. so they're going to start there so and now boise the... state has a shot like the the, right. the best group of five teams now have a shot with the power five and if they're not good they'll go down and dominate the group of five or whatever it is but like either way you're kind of playing for something right in a given year well, not just that, but you're solving the issue of those teams never being able to get a shot at the national title, right? Like Boise State yeah. goes on a run where they like they, you know, if they go undefeated three straight years, they're still never making it in to the college football playoff because everyone's like, well, they're only doing it, um, you know, in the in the group of five. Right. This enables them to do it in year two or three. Right. They go undefeated. They get promoted. They're now in the Pac-12. Next year, they go and defeat it again. Now you have a conversation. Yeah, because... I like that, because like, that's the thing that narks me the most about college football, is the idea that you know the team that goes undefeated and never has a chance to play for a national title, even though the reason that they don't is because, well, they went undefeated with a much worse schedule and blah, blah, blah. But which you know that, matters. Yeah. But So, like, when UCF went undefeated a couple of years ago and decided right. to claim their own national championship, the obvious answer is, well, of course, if you put them in the SEC, they're probably not going undefeated. But that next year, you would actually find out, yeah. right, and say, okay, here's your shot. Now, the, the tricky part about football is we know how much the quarterback matters. And sometimes a team goes undefeated. They have a senior quarterback. He's gone. They're not the same team the next year. So every now and again, you'd get these situations where it's like, hey, good old UCF. They were great last right. year. And then they're going to win three games um, as they get promoted. But, you know, sometimes you have created this group of five powerhouse. Like Boise State is consistently good. So now you don't have to answer the questions like, what if they did play a Pac-12 schedule or an SEC-type schedule or a Big North schedule as this guy turns the Big Ten into the Big North? I like that. I think it'd be cool. Notre Dame's all of a sudden in the conference. They're in the big north with all the big 12 teams, or big 10 teams. And, uh, yeah, I think it looks cool. would also be in. pretty fascinating if, like, a big, you know, a big powerhouse team sucks for a while. Like, <laughs> how far down they're going to go? You end up with Florida State that, and the FCS. That could be ugly. Yeah. Uh, so this probably never happens. A lot of money mm -hmm. at stake to redo this whole thing. But I'd be interested in it because – I do think college football, which I love, I don't love it as much as the NFL. I love it, but I do feel like it's gotten very top heavy. And I do, I don't know if it's the, 
ESPN component, the college football playoff component. I think it's been so focused on the playoff that if you if you're not one of those top four teams, it's like why do I even exist? And I want I want every game to matter. I want I every game to count. I think it potentially levels the playing field a little bit when it comes to recruiting as well, because like if you if you're a legit you know, you want to win things, you're a legit prospect. Like, you don't want to go to a college that has no shot of playing for a national title. Yeah. Whereas now, you, like, even, if you're go- even if you're looking at a team in the group of five, like, if you think you're the difference maker in your college career, you can be playing for that national title. Like, you can get promoted, and then the next year, you have, you know, a year or two to actually help this team win something. So, you know, teams like – teams in the group of five – have a recruiting advantage that they don't have now. Like they can actually say, Hey, we are moving in the right direction. Two years time. We're playing for a national title. Like if they were yeah. saying that now, it would be meaningless. It wouldn't You'd have farcical more equal opportunities here, which I'm all for. I think that'd be, I think that'd be great. So good concept. Thank you, Jared. Appreciate that. I think it's cool, even though NFL podcast, but you know, a little college football talk here in, in June. So cool, man. That'll do it. So Thursday, you're you're out, right? You're on vacation. Yeah. What are you doing for your your staycation? Right? You're just hanging around the house. Right. Yeah. Not much. Yard work. God, I hope not. Although I do. Yeah. Uh, it's, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. You need help with anything? Yeah. You 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 pulled out a uh, like a high end Dyson vacuum cleaner. I got you all sorts of stuff you could vacuum if you're still looking. Yeah, I'm I'm looking to vacuum stuff. Sweet. Can we get Dyson as a sponsor? I mean, I don't know. It's the only way you can afford any of their stuff. I don't know if it fits our demographic or not, but, you know, I'm a man. I love this thing. So it's a great vacuum. I use it everywhere. It's powerful. Clean my car out. I mean, everything. It's awesome. Hmm. Get Dyson as a uh, as a sponsor here. Let's get them, get them on the pod. So anyway, the um, point with that is it doesn't look like the Montana Young thing is going to be finished in time for Thursday. That was our original plan was to drop that on Thursday. So um, it's just me. It's just you. This is my chance. Whatever you decide to bring in. in addition. I think I think I have Mike Renner. I think I have him locked in to preview the 2021 draft, the preseason draft guide, get a little bit forward looking there, help him promote his podcast and all that stuff. We've got Mike Renner, but it also opens up the opportunity for me to go full monologue style. Oh God. Or answer some questions on my own or Are just speak any, at you. Are we going to have any listeners remaining when I come back next week? I don't know. Let's see if I advertise this, let's see, maybe if we break records after me advertising this, then, you know, you might be out. Hmm. So okay. I might spend 30 to 60 to 90 minutes. Just, just talking at you guys about football and, I and my own thoughts in advance. about everything. So, uh, We'll definitely have Mike Renner. We'll do a little 2021 draft preview, and maybe I'll just either answer questions or just just talk, see what happens. But that'll be Thursday. So, Sam, enjoy your break. You'll be back next week, and uh, we'll be back Thursday and next week with more great NFL content. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Quick break to tell you guys about NFL Game Pass, the only way that you can replay every game all season long. 
You can relive all the gutsy calls, crazy catches, wild comebacks, and breakout stars from every game every week. It's all the action, all the football you can handle, all in one place. So every game that we're talking about right now, you guys can rewatch it after the fact. I'm going to be going back, and you guys can too. Go check out Lamar Jackson in week one. Go check out Dak Prescott and what that Cowboys offense actually did. Go check out Kyler Murray and his NFL debut. That's my favorite thing about NFL Game Pass. You can go back and watch at any time. And if you haven't watched a condensed game yet, you have to try it out. It's every play from the game back to back to back so you can replay an entire NFL game in the fraction of the time it normally takes. It's how I'm able to follow all the MVP candidates, all the breakout stars, and, of course, your waiver wire pickups all season long. To see all the action this season and stay on top of all the big storylines, you need NFL Game Pass. Best of all, you can kick off the 2019 NFL season with a seven-day free trial of NFL Game Pass. Just sign up now at NFL.com slash Pro Football Focus NFL.